After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 79. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a New Testament scholar once provocatively called Jesus the consummate party animal. And he didn't even mean it as as badly as, as it sounds. He revered Jesus as a simple Galilean peasant who rose as a visionary and a revolutionary and he brought a change to Israel, uh, a nation that had died under the teaching of the priests and the Pharisees. Jesus was able to connect with people like no one else. And he did that by eating and drinking with people. Just recently, I, I read an article in the Journal of Biblical Counseling in connection with some articles and speeches I had this past week at teen camp. And this, uh, this psychologist said, if you really want to connect with people, if you want to develop friendships, have a meal with them. That's when you get close to people. And our Lord Jesus Christ did exactly that. You know, this, this was a great man. This was a man who was raising the dead, who was galvanizing people with his preaching. You know, usually people like that are unreachable. I'm not going to have breakfast with Justin Trudeau. He doesn't want breakfast with me. If I, if I send a, 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 a message to Donald Trump, would you like to have supper? There's no way. But with Jesus, you could. He sit with the beggar in the street. He would let a prostitute wash his feet. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He connected with people developing relationships so that he could indeed show himself as Lord and Savior. But that's not what that prominent scholar was thinking about. There's another one, E.P. Sanders, who wrote a blockbuster book in the 1980s known as Jesus and Judaism. This is what he said. You want to listen very carefully to this. That by eating with the wicked, Jesus demonstrated his acceptance of them without calling them to repentance. Now, if push came to shove, Sanders would say, yes, Jesus would like to see people repent, but that wasn't his point. It's not that he wanted to change their lives. He wanted to accept them as they were, and make them feel comfortable with, with the way their lives were. Now, I mention these things because you should be well aware of the trends in, in modern theology. It's not about sin. It's not about repentance but accepting people for what and who they are. Is this correct, though? Obviously not. We're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to look at it in, in, from a passage that speaks about John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, look, if you're going to try to find a passage in Scripture that disproves that Jesus is just about accepting people as they are, you couldn't have found a worse passage. Because there's a contrast between these two men. John is an, an ascetic, which means that, you know, he, he lived a, a very rigorous, humble life, cutting himself off from all pleasures. Whereas Jesus, as Jesus said, people say, I'm a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So John is severe. He's about sin and repentance. Whereas Jesus seems to be eating and drinking with sinners. And, and tax collectors. Seems like two very 
different approaches. So let's look at that this morning under this theme, the tale of two men, the one austere and severe, the other a glutton and drunkard. Allegedly, of course, that's what people said. I'm not saying that, and you wouldn't either. But that's what's being said. So first of all, we'll look at the offense of John. People were offended by John. Then the offense of Jesus. People were offended by him too. And finally, we'll look at the truth is in the details. So John the Baptist, at the beginning of this chapter, he's in prison, and he sends a message to his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So clearly, John was struggling with the question, was Jesus truly the Christ? Now, there's a context to that, of course, and the context is that John was a preacher of repentance. He called people to repent. And he was dead serious about this. He says, if you don't repent, God will raise up stones and make them children of Abraham. They might say, well, that's an exaggerated statement, but it's not, not really. Because after Pentecost, the gospel would move out of Jerusalem. It would still be there too. But it was going to go out through the whole world. The Jews would no longer be the exclusive people of God, but people from all tribes, tongues, and nations would become the people of God. And we are today. I'm a son of Abraham, and I don't have a drop of Jewish blood in me. But we're children of Abraham because we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. John says, look, the gospel is going to move on from you. You You better smarten up and pay attention right now. And if you don't, the one who's coming will burn you with unquenchable fire like the chaff. So John anticipated that Jesus Christ was coming and he would execute judgment. But it's not what John was seeing. It didn't look like Jesus was a preacher of repentance and of warning and of judgment. So he's wondering if he misunderstood. Is there someone else coming? who would be the Christ. Now, to really understand what, what's all, what, all happening here, like John clearly was not understanding Jesus Christ, but he should have. And I'd like to show you why, because deep down he did. John preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent means a 180-degree different way of thinking, believing, and living. You were going that way, now you're going that way. John says to the people of Israel, what you have thought, what you have believed, how you have been living is so wrong. you got to repent. you got to think differently, and you have to live differently. And John underlined that severe message by living a very severe lifestyle. He lived in the wilderness. He was dressed in camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. And people started to make fun of that. They said, look, you talk about a kooky guy. That's John the Baptist. He's as weird as they come. Of course, if you're weird, then nobody's going to listen to you either. But it wasn't so much what John looked like that bothered people. It's what he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you don't change, says John, you're out. You're not in 
the kingdom of God. In fact, when people were coming to him, he said in Luke 3, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, if somebody were to call me a snake that comes slithering out of the grass, I would be pretty offended. Well, John certainly had no problem offending people when he says, You poisonous snakes. You, you terrible people. It's deeply offensive. But John was dead serious because people were not living in, in faith, living a life to the praise and the glory of God. They had been caught up in dead orthodoxy, smug complacency, totally comfortable with their sins as long as they put a nice veneer over that of religiosity. We'll go to the temple, we'll make our sacrifices, keep the law of clean and unclean, but for the rest we can live however we want to live. And that's why uh, people who didn't want to hear that says he has a demon. They didn't want to listen to him. They were not going to repent. Now we understand that in a way because it's, it's kind of human nature to rebel against somebody telling you what to do, especially if it's something big. I mean, we see that in our families. How many parents haven't gone through anguish because they told their children how to behave? And kids just didn't listen. Our 16-year-old got into all kinds of trouble because he or she wouldn't listen. Not because they thought what they were doing was better, but they want to rebel against dad and mom. Teachers see that same thing with, with students. Preachers see that with, with uh, their congregation. They're, they're preaching and people say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. And, and for all kinds of reasons, you know, we live in a time of relativism where it says, you know, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. You can tell me that that's how I'm supposed to be sexually moral. Too bad. Not going to listen. You can say I, I should be in the worship services twice per Sunday. I have a different opinion about that. It's pure rebellion against the truth of God's word. And that's what John was seeing in, in his day. You know, you have, for instance, you have the Pharisees who were so, so pious. And yet it was clear that they were con artists and thieves. They looked beautiful, but they were like a, a dead man's tomb filled with bones. They even taught young people how to rip off their own parents. They would make an oath and they would cheat on their oaths. But oh, they kept the law of clean and unclean. And they didn't break the Sabbath day. Hallelujah, we are God's people. You brood of vipers, said John. Repent. And we ask ourselves, okay, is John really that severe? Is he, is he so dark? You know, we read in Luke 3 that people were coming to John and some were cut to the heart and they said, what then shall we do? This is what John says. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then soldiers asked him, and what shall we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So 
if you were to ask me, what is John really preaching? Is he preaching repentance? Is he warning about chaff that will be burned with unquenchable fire? Sure, that's part of it. But the preaching of John is love your neighbor. That's his message. When you repent, says John, and you come to God grieving for your sins, then I will show you how you can live a true life as a child of God. Is your neighbor hungry? Give him food. Does he lack clothing on a cold day? Give him some clothing. Love your neighbor, says John. Love your God. That's all that John was calling for. You might say, well, why, why was John so severe then? You know, why, why was he so, he sounded like he was mad calling people to repentance because, because of the situation, brothers and sisters. Jesus was about to appear any day. And he would only be here for three years and then be gone. And then on Pentecost, the gospel will go out to the whole world. And John says, if, if you people don't watch out, this is going to pass you by. The gospel is going to go to the whole world. And you're going to sit there as the Jewish people without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to smarten up. We have to pay attention. We have to realize that we are sinners and grieve for our sins so that we may know the Christ who washes away our sins. So John had to, had to be pretty blunt because of that situation. But his message ultimately was, was one of love your neighbor was John really so offensive? <laughs> Jesus said in verse 11, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was about transforming life, being holy as God is holy, loving God, love your neighbor. That brings us to our second point. Jesus said, of John they said he has a demon, but of me... They are saying, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and the people say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Remember how we pointed out in our introduction, uh, said this scholar called Jesus the consummate party animal. And it's true that Jesus lived quite differently from John the Baptist, who, you know, just lived on a meager amount of honey and wild locusts, and probably a sip of water from the Jordan River. Now, Jesus is not just an eater and drinker. He liked eating and drinking. And you do that when you get together for a feast at uh, people's places, and we know Jesus did that a lot. You can picture Jesus sitting there at a meal. He's got a plate full of food. He's got a goblet of wine, and he enjoys it all. Now, to call him a glutton and drunkard, is not fair because Jesus was without sin. He was not a, a drunkard, a glutton, but he still enjoyed his food and drink. Now, people were sure poking fun at him, but what really bothered the people is not just his eating and drinking, but that he did it as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we know that Jesus more often ate with tax collectors and sinners. Back in Matthew 9, verse 11, Jesus was having a feast at the home of Matthew, the tax collector, who becomes his disciple eventually. And many other tax collectors and sinners came to that meal. 
The Pharisees asked the disciples critically, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is Jesus' response. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the scholar I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, he called Jesus the consummate party animal. E.P. Sanders, a well-known theologian, a biblical scholar, he says Jesus had these meals because he wanted to accept people as they were. And is that true? That Jesus just enjoyed eating and drinking? He enjoyed people that, the, the way they were? No, he explained in Matthew 9, I came. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to heal the sick. And a sinner is a sick person, spiritually, morally sick. A tax collector is a sick man. Basically, they were dirty, rotten scoundrels. Tax collectors in those days were rip-off artists. They destroyed people's lives, took away farms, took away homes, destroyed families. Sick, destructive people. And prostitutes. We don't even have to go into detail there, but it is sick. And Jesus Christ came to these kind of people not to accept them as they were, but to build a relationship to reveal himself for who he was so that they could repent, grieving over their sins, and Jesus Christ could wash them clean in his precious blood and cause them to be born again by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ made that very clear in a parable in Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, they both went to the temple to pray. And you know the Pharisee was boasting about his self-righteousness, but the tax collector didn't even dare go in, didn't even dare look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. It's what our Lord Jesus Christ came to do, to, to show people they were sick with sin, to cause them to grieve, because that's repentance. Repentance is grieving for your sins and wanting to be different and to live differently as a child of God. We see that in the very next chapter in, in Luke 19, when Jesus meets Zacchaeus, the tax collector, <clears throat> who's sitting in a sycamore tree because he's trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, and Jesus stops and says, uh, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have a meal at your place this day. And he did. And lots of other people came as well. And at a certain moment, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord Jesus, anybody I have ripped off, I will repay. And I'm going to give even more to the poor. And then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's why Jesus Christ went to the home of this tax collector, that he might be saved, that he might be a son of Abraham, that he might repent. Exactly what John the Baptist did as well. Now, John didn't completely understand the Lord Jesus 
the people of Jesus' day certainly didn't understand him. But as we look carefully at this passage, we understand what Jesus Christ is really and truly all about. But we also learn something else. It's not just that people were bothered by Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. But the big fear was, what if they did repent? Like, really? Did, did the Pharisees want to see tax collectors even if they changed? Do they want to see a tax collector in church? Do they want to see uh, street women, prostitutes, you know, change and come in the church? We don't want those kind of people in church. I was shocked to think that anyone would say that, you know, because we, are, we have been seasoned with political correctness and with a, a greater social conscience. But is it true that if somebody different comes off the street, maybe it's somebody who hasn't showered for a while, looks like they've slept in their clothing for, for a, a week and walks to the door, and, you know, the nice people at the front door will all shake their hand, but the body language of pretty much everybody else is, I sure hope you don't come and talk to me. I sure wouldn't have you at my place for dinner, not the way you look and the way you smell. But even nice people, clean people, well-mannered people, they say it's one of the hardest things is to go into a, a new church. The body language of most people is, well, please, don't, don't, don't talk to me. You know, over the years, I've had a number of people say to me, I showed up in a Canadian Reformed church, but I never went back because I didn't feel welcomed. A few weeks ago, talking to a, a young woman after I was preaching in Providence, and she said to me, I've been in a number of Canadian Reformed churches in the Edmonton area, Seven times, this is the first time anybody talked to me. You know, we, could, we can uh, look at horror at the days of our Lord Jesus Christ, the way that the church, you know, treated tax collectors and, and, and other sinners. But are we always so open and hospitable, drawing people into our homes and into our lives, creating relationships that we can truly share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ is an amazing example. I'm so deeply offended by a scholar who would call him the consummate party animal. But all he is is a friend to those who are in need, a friend to the downtrodden, a friend to sinners. He'll take the time. He'll open his life. He'll sit down for a meal. He's never too busy, too offended by any kind of a lifestyle to not spend time with them and show them the good news. Is Jesus Christ really so offensive as the Pharisees and the priests said in that day? You just ask Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus will say, it's the most beautiful man that ever lived. He saved my life. That brings us to our final point. The truth is in the details. Jesus says at the end of verse 19 that wisdom is justified by her deeds. The NIV says wisdom is proved right by her actions. Now, wisdom is a deep word and concept even in the Bible. But when Jesus says this, he, he's not expecting us to go down deep theological avenues. In the Bible, the wisdom of God basically comes down to this. His plan. His purpose, his way of salvation, 
which will for certain work out. And we see that it's working out both in John the Baptist and in our Lord Jesus Christ, who are more similar than a lot of people would like to give them credit for. Yes, John the Baptist was a very severe man, an ascetic, calling people to repentance, warning them of judgment because he wanted to teach people how to be true children of God who could love their neighbor and love their God. That's the gospel. And our Lord Jesus Christ does exactly the same. We read the whole chapter. And what did Jesus say? Woe, Chorazin, woe, Bethsaida. If the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, they would have repented. Jesus called people to judgment. He warned them of the consequences if they didn't repent. His whole ministry was like that. The very beginning in his Sermon on the Mount, he says there's two paths. You make sure you're on the narrow one. It's the only one that leads to eternal life. He said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father. And we can keep going. Uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 25 where Jesus Christ warns about the coming judgment. He gives the parable of the ten virgins. Five are going to hell. He says, in the last day of the world, I will come, and I will separate the sheep from the goats. Our Lord Jesus Christ warned about the consequences of staying in sin and not repenting. But he too did it with a well-meant gospel offer. At the very end of this chapter, he says, come to me, all who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What we're seeing with both John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus Christ is the well-rounded gospel message. And the gospel is not afraid to talk about sin. It does so very clearly. It warns people, calling them to repentance, showing the consequences of not repenting, but then always in the light of the beauty of a new life made possible in Jesus Christ. Because if you do grieve for your sins and you do come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will wash you clean in his blood. Those sins are all gone. He will renew you by his Holy Spirit. And he gives the promise, I am preparing a place for you in my Father's house. One day we will drink the wine together in the kingdom of my Father, uh, an eternity of perfect blessing and perfect joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.